Hey everybody, it's Peps, and today it is time for the 2022 Geelong season preview. And tell you what, have I climbed the top of the mountain for this one? We've been able to secure the awesomeness of the chief football writer for the Geelong Advertiser, Josh Barnes, who's going to talk to us about the Cats and whether they're going to scratch their way to finals victory or if they're going to fall on their feet when it comes to finals. Josh, welcome to Lace Out. It's good to be with you, mate. Um, good to be here for the first time as a long-time fan. Um, as you say, the top of the mountain, Chief Footy Road basically just means the Chief Nuffy in Geelong. Um, we get paid to cover the Cats instead of just sitting in the grandstands like the rest of my life. So uh, it's good to be in the, the uh, press box for most of this year. Hey, 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 hey. Don't, don't put yourself down, mate. Don't put yourself down. You've worked <laughs> really hard nothing, to be the mate. chief football writer. Don't don't put it down. But I can ask this. I've got to ask this question. What happened to the Cats at the end of 2020, uh, 2021? Because I thought that they were going to take it. I thought they were going to reach the pinnacle. They've been building for this. They've brought in Jeremy Cameron. They brought in Isaac Smith. Yeah, get to the D's, and literally it was gone in 30 minutes. Yeah, it was. It was probably the best 15 minutes of football I think anybody's almost ever played, wasn't it, by Big Gorney? He, um, he was running around like Gary Ablett Senior in his pump in that forward line, snapping goals from the boundary everywhere. If you ask the Cats, they'll tell you there's no excuses. They've been trotting at that line, but they will also say we had about 15 blokes going down with a mystery illness on the eve of the game. I'm not sure even if they were fit that Geelong would have got anywhere near what Gorney was producing, but. Um, I think when you say that they would have taken it out um, earlier in the season, probably around round 16 for the last 10 years, you probably thought Geelong's a real chance to take it out. And it seems to always fall flat, particularly a preliminary final weekend. So for the rusted on Cats fans, it probably wasn't that much of a surprise. Now, it might have been for you Demons fans to see you guys romping through to a grand final, but um, for the Cats fans, they probably expected that preliminary final heartbreak again. Well, when my wife was uh, cheering at the TV, and she's not a massive football follower, but she's saying, Chris... Gorney's going nuts. You know something special is happening, and, and by goodness gracious, it was special. And then we all know what happened one week later, and we don't need to go on about that. But if you haven't listened to the uh, Lace Out 2021 Grand Final Review, it's a cracking episode. Strap yourself into it. Before right, yeah. So where on, do we look? What was that third quarter like as a fan watching that prelim? It would have been uh, um, the best until a week later, probably. It would have been just about the best moment of your life, wouldn't it? It was nuts. It was nuts because it just happened so quick. And it just came together. And when you got your Ruckman surging out of the Ford 50, and then he bangs one, and then he snaps one, and then he snapped one earlier on, and then he's, t- really he's clunking marks, and, he, and everything that he was doing was just was touching, touching gold. And, uh, I think it was just exciting, but the, the nervousness, and as you know, because you've made grand finals over the, over the recent years, and you know what it's all about. It's like, yeah, we're there, but then the nervousness really kicks in because mm. it's great to win a prelim, but – it's the actual next one that you want to win. You'd almost rather lose the prelim like in 2018. We lost it. It was okay because we know that we weren't going to get let down one week later. So it was a tale of two cities. I reckon I had the two best third quarters in the space of two weeks uh, that you could possibly ask for. Absolutely out of control. Now, there's one guy that I cannot believe he'll have to have a statue built for him by the time he finishes his <laughs> career. Tom Stewart, he's played five seasons. Three All-Australians. He's won a Graves medal for, for the best and fairest at the Cats. How good is this guy and what does he mean to this Geelong backline? Because without him, you look very suspect. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that was part of the reason things fell apart for the Cats without Tommy Stewart on the ground. You talk of the right man, Pets. I played my under-16 footy with him at South Bowen. Uh, I was on the bench. He was on the back line. Um, he was a superstar from the time he came down from up country. I think Mansfield, he arrived in Geelong in those days. Um, I played with him, obviously, at South Bowen for, for most of my days. Um, always a really good local footballer, but once he started rising through the ranks, he just seemed to play um, at the same level. Every level he went up, he was still the same player, even though he was playing at the AFL level. He was still dominating doing the same thing. So it's remarkable, his story, the way he's come and become possibly one of the best defenders in the whole league. He is outstanding. And when he's missing, the Geelong back line is missing a lot because not only is he a star intercept player, but his ability to deliver the ball out of the back line, get the ball moving, it's something Geelong has struggled with a little bit in the last sort of five years or so, having those really good uh, users of the footy coming out of the defence. So champion missing really hurt in the finals last year. And I, I think the writing is definitely on the wall that um, if this is – his last year, it'll be, if it's not his last, it'll be second last. But once Joel Stalwood departs, Tom Stewart is the next captain of Geelong. I think that's um, pretty clear at the moment, unless it takes a little bit longer and Stewart ages out of that role. He seems to be definitely the man that's next in line and, and he's well-deserved because he's, he's done it the hard way and he's become a genuine, genuine star. I just love the way he plays his footy. He's only 29, but that's really strange because you go, he's only 29. That's like under 10s for Geelong. That's like the youth. <laughs> uh, are you a little bit concerned that you've got 12 players over the age of 30 heading into this season. And that's going to uh, couple on because then you've got one, two, three, four who will be turning 30 as part of that season. When you look at other clubs like who are, who are top four, Melbourne have got six, Port Adelaide have got seven, and the Western Bulldogs have got three. We all think okay. it's a concern, but from the internal looking at looking outside – do you sort of push it aside or you go, no, it is, if, because when mother time hits, it's going to hit us hard? Yeah, I think that's been, I guess, the problem for 10 years now, really, hasn't it, for Geelong? I mean, they, um, it's been, their list has been rejuvenated slowly and slowly for, for 10 years since that 2011 premiership. They haven't really fallen out of contention, apart from a couple of years where they didn't finish as they would like. And um, I suppose you have to back in the Geelong list management team, headed up by Stephen Wells and Andrew Mackey these days, to be able to rejuvenate and bring in those guys and, and phase out the other ones. They've done it for a decade now, of being on the edge of, of falling off the cliff. Uh, but I think the big question I think we do will be what happens when Tom Hawkins and Salwood depart. They've been um, two of the best players I've certainly seen where Geelong Colours in my days following the club. Once they go, they probably leave a huge hole in, in the rest. But the, the other guys, I suppose, they're not going to play a huge amount of footy. Um, some of them are, but a lot of them are going to be starting to phase out. I think the likes of Sean Higgins, Luke Dalhouse, their days are clearly starting to be numbered. So. I, hopefully the Cats have been making noise about phasing them out. They don't have to play every week, all that sort of stuff. I think that's what you'll see a little bit more this year from the Cats. Those guys that are 21, 22 will start to play five games instead of one or two. Um, and that'll mean that Higgins and Dalhouse and those ilk will be sitting on the sidelines a little bit more. Um, I think they know that has to be done and, that, and they know that's going to be coming in the next three or four years. I think the major problem for Geelong in the next sort of phase will be what happens when these 30-year-olds depart and then you've got these young guys, but you're going to have nobody really in the middle. You're going to be have, missing those guys that are 25 to 27 that are the nucleus of Melbourne's premiership team. All those guys are at the absolute peak in the midfield there. John's going to be missing that. So whether they can do as they've done for the last decade and find those 26-year-old recruits um, like they did with Dangerfield and the likes of Lockie Henderson, that's going to be, I guess, the question because they're going to be missing a, a fair patch of those guys in their prime age in three or four years' time. Oh, I spoke to I spoke to Ross from the North Talk podcast last week and – we were speaking about this exact thing that North had, but they had theirs about three or four years ago when they got rid of Harvey, Del Santo, Ferrito. They did the big cull because they yeah. said, we can't keep 
finishing middle table, we have to move these guys on now to get some picks in so then we can rejuvenate. But it's, and it's taken them four years to at least get a midfield that you can see, okay, there is, there is something there. They have got some stuff down forward. They have a little bit down back. It is still going to be tough, but they are building towards something. Geelong have to make a massive call. They almost haven't made the massive call. They almost think mm-hmm. that we, we, we've still got one in us. We've still got – we were only a, a kick away at one stage from, from icing the 2021 against, against the Tigers. We were literally a kick away from finishing top two. We were uh, a dodgy cheeseburger away from playing fully fit in a prelim. But they must think that they're so close, but from an outside perspective, we think, are you guys delusional? For example, you traded Jordan Clark, moved on uh, Darcy Fort, but you brought in, to match your age profile, a mid-30s <laughs> ruckman in uh, Jonathan Segler. It is just mind-boggling. Like, can't you see what everybody else is seeing? Yeah, I, I agree. But I also, I'm a big fan of clubs when they are right on the edge of going for it. You never know how long it'll take. Um, North Melbourne fans will know that, that they haven't really been on the edge of winning a flag whereas Geelong has been. And apart from perhaps St Kilda in 2009-10, there probably hasn't been a club that was as close as Geelong got in 2019 and 2020. They had Richmond on toast twice and let it slip twice. Then yep. obviously made a prelim last year and, and things went haywire in that second half. But they were so close that you have to think, if we get that extra player, if we get Jeremy Cameron in for 2021, we're going to win the flag. Um, and they almost did. So I, I fully believe in going for it if you have the chance. But yeah. I don't know how many more chances the Cats do have of going for it. And so that's why I think they will start Stop recruiting those sort of 29, 30 year olds, particularly with the guys, as I mentioned, Selwood and Dangerfield's getting towards the end of his time and, and Auckland's phasing out. When you have those guys who are three of the best guys to have played for Geelong in the last 20 years, you probably have to go for it. There's no use having a Selwood, Hawkins, Dangerfield team and then you're finishing 14th on the ladder. You may as well try your best and top up. But in the next two years, when they start phasing out, you, you probably will see the Cats really culling that list and trying to bring in the youth. They're trying to do a balance of those guys they drafted in the last three years will be 22 in 2024 and they'll be ready to take the baton but we've seen over the journey that those things don't really work out particularly when you're not getting super high draft picks that you haven't been getting so yeah that balance is going to be going to be tricky what do you think they should be doing do you think they should at the end of this year chop it off and say most of you guys over 30 get out of here or should they try and keep doing these mini reloads no no more reloads You, you, you can't because you have to it's going to get to a point where it might only be one year but it's going to hit hard and that's my concern is but I think Hawkins can still go around because he's playing forward. And let's be honest, he's a good-looking brute, that guy. Like, he's a massive unit. He, he could go for another couple of years. He just look, He's looking fitter now than when he was running around yeah, absolutely. early days. So you could, you could keep him. I think from a Selwood perspective, because he's been battered from pillar to post his entire career, that, body's, that body can't hold on much longer. And I don't know where you play him outside of on the ball. Like, he's not quick enough to be a forward. His disposal, not too sure, but he wouldn't be quick enough to come off half-back compared to other yeah. teams. So he sort of sits a little bit nowhere. Isaac Smith, you could probably get him around another year. Dangerfield's my concern. Maybe he's one where you have to take him out of the mid and have him more as a forward mid rather than mid-forward. Reece Stanley, I just, I'll, I'll leave that one up to you. Uh, Jonathan Segler, as we've spoken about. Mark Blixars, I can't pronounce it, let alone I've got no idea what his best position is, and I'm going to, I was, that was on the list. Um, ever since the Harry Houdini magical tour of the early 21st century, there hasn't been a better disappearing act 
in September than Gary Rowan. <laughs> so I'm going to have to ask you a little bit about him. Um, Mitch Duncan, once again, probably you might be able to let go. Cam Guthrie, he just tries his guts out every week. How much longer can – and then Luke Dalhouse, see you later, mate, and then you've got Stuart and Cameron. So, you know, if you look at who – if you had to rank your top 10 players at your club, you would say probably seven to eight of those are in that bracket, and that's where I say – that's where danger signs kicks in. So when you start yeah. to get the tightness in the calves. That's where the Achilles injuries start to play out. That's when the groins don't get to heal. Stuff that would take one or two weeks now taking four or five. That's my concern too. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I, th- I think you have to bite the bullet. If, if they come out and said, you know what, we've had a crack, hasn't worked. Sorry, I shouldn't say it. We haven't been able to achieve the ultimate success. We have to do this. Otherwise, we're just going to keep and it's going to get worse and worse because you're not going to have draft picks unless you trade players out. That's the other thing yeah. too. Is there any currency with anybody that we've got? Yeah. Well, well, otherwise, well, you're just going to get your normal, wherever you finish position draft pick and free agents, would they want to go to Geelong if they're on the slide? Yeah, that's part know. of the problem I think is those younger guys aren't coming through as stars. At the back end of the Geelong, um, I guess, dynasty at the end of the 2010s, you had guys like Mitch Duncan who was drafted and played in a flag. Cam Duthrie came along and now he's one of best and fairest. Those guys were drafted around them and have ended up being borderline stars that have been really, really good players. Whereas at the moment, you're looking at those younger group and they're serviceable players. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of them are really good role players. Mike O'Connor's really settled in to be a great role player. Brandon Parfit, the same. He does his job in the midfield. But are any of those guys going to be stars? You don't think so. So you're waiting on trying to get those young guys in that can be stars because there is no currency really on those others. I mean, a guy um, like Quentin Narkle, who was out of contract at the end of last year, he would have walked somewhere else if there was a good offer for him, and there wasn't. So Geelong couldn't trade him for anything because nobody wanted anything back, and, and there was no sort of fishes coming after him. So that's the problem. They don't really have guys you can trade for, for really good value. Jordan Clark, by the end of his tenure at Geelong, was probably less value than two years before. So um, without being able to get those top 10 picks, it's going to be really, really tough. But Geelong somehow did it over the last decade. You just, you just do it. Unless you've yeah. got 38 uh, father-sons, which Geelong happens <laughs> to always have, um, you're definitely going to have something there. Now, I've got to ask you about the two blokes that I mentioned really quick. Blitz, is it Blitz? I can't pronounce it because it's, it's, Blit, it's Blitzarves. It's, it's Blitz, not Blickers, but it's Blitzarves, I think, is the way you say exactly. it. Exactly. What's his best position? Is it down back? I think he – I watched him against – I think it was, might have been his first or second season. He played a game against Carlton at – it might have been Telstra at those days. And he was like, this guy just doesn't stop running. They had him on a wing. He was – no one could go with him. Now, what's the point of having a guy who has a, the best tank almost in the AFL and you're slotting him in a position like fullback? Like, is he – should he be rucking? Should you play him on a wing? Like, what do you see? Because I don't think he's being utilised to the best yeah. of his ability. I think his best position when he bl- plays his best football is at that fullback because he has that ability that he's – Super important these days where you've got so much space with guys yeah. coming back down the field at you. You can cover so much. I think 2019 or 2018, he played back line most of the year, and his just ability to come across and be the guy who comes out of nowhere and punches the ball out of bounds um, is sort of unrivaled for his position. But I think in the last three years, his best position for the team has been the midfield. They've really liked his ability to be the defensive thought guy on the wing that when the, guy, when the opposition starts coming forward, he's the one that has the, the tank to get back and be in the way and be that intercept player. 
um, and you can be useful in taking a market and helping setting you up forward. I think with the Cats now, without Harry Taylor, no Lockie Henderson, I think they'll sit him down at fullback. I think Sam DeConning at this stage will play sort of as his partner as the, the key defensive pillar next to him. He's a 20-year-old kid who is going to take a, a fair bit of time to get to his best footy. So they need Blitzers to be playing, I think, fullback for most of the year. But having said that, we've probably, I've probably said that at the start of the season three times in a row now, and by round 10, he's in the ruck. <laughs> as Ray Stanley falters and, and they struggle to find someone to go in there. So who knows where it'll end up. But I think he plays his best footy at fullback, and I think they'll probably put him there for the first five rounds at least, and we'll see how we go. Well, Scotty's in for his 12th year, so he, he's virtually tried everything. If it doesn't go to plan this year, should you keep him or should you try for something different? Like, if you're going to rebuild the team, do you rebuild it from the coaching level? Is he a development coach? Yeah, well, he hasn't had really, I guess, the opportunity to be a development coach unless you consider, I guess, 2015 or 20. 20- 18 when Geelong had their worst years as him developing the younger guys to recharge for a go at the flag. But I don't think he probably would. So it's really hard to tell, isn't it? He's never really had to do it. Uh, it seems at the moment that he's going to be signed to a two-year contract extension before the season starts. That's been the word for a long time. They're taking a while to get it locked in as, as we speak tonight. But um, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I can't really see him being there in five years' time when you're going to be starting this rebuild and you're going to be looking at 2026 perhaps as your chance to win a premiership. So. I can see the, the the point in cutting back with him now and getting rid of him and, and getting someone in who will be able to go with this next group for the next five years. Um, but the question is, if you get rid of him, will you be able to find someone better? He's done a pretty good job for the last 10 years. If you bring someone in, is it better the devil you know? What do you think? He's very, very divisive in terms of modern coaches. His record in the home away season is outstanding. His record in the finals is awful. Um, do you think he's a good coach? Do you think Geelong should move him on? Oh. Everybody will give you different answers on this. The proof is in the pudding, what you just said. Great home and away coach. And when it gets to finals, something just doesn't click. I don't know. And that's what I mean. I don't know what it is because if you ran through your lines and you look at it on paper, there's that much quality. It's almost the coach can only do so much. Maybe it's just one of those situations where he's had great teams, but he's just been caught in an era where there's just been better teams that he's come across. You know, he's been caught with uh, the Hawks, uh, the Hawks run for, for quite a while through early, for the early part of his career. Then he gets stuck with another dynasty when it comes to Richmond. Then he potentially, and I don't use that word because it's only been one, but then you're coming up against a, another team on the rise, which was, which was, which was Melbourne. It, it's a tough, and he also got caught a couple of times from the Collingwood perspective. So every time that, you think they're just about to get there. There's just somebody who's been able to just take it, take it up against them. I remember the prelim, I think it was when they played Collingwood. I think it was over by a quarter time or half time. It was just an absolute blowout. It might have even been semi-final. I could be wrong. But it's just like something happens when it gets to finals where it just doesn't, doesn't gel. Yeah. That would be oh, my concern. They've been – a really, really good side who I think has come up against some of the all-time greats in the last sort of decade. When you think about Geelong's probably, they've probably had four or five years where they've been really primed and in the right position to win it. And one of those is 2013 Hawks. They probably had them covered in that preliminary final and Hawthorne and Sean Bergon somehow got them done in, in the last quarter. 2016, they didn't show up in the preliminary final against Sydney, got belted off the park. And that was probably the one that they let go because the Bulldogs won that year and they obviously didn't turn into a dynasty. But then you got Richmond who became one of the better sides we've seen in 2019 and 20, and they had them both times, as we've mentioned. And Melbourne, I don't think 
you, you wouldn't have been able to get Jesus Christ to stop Max Gorn last year against Melbourne. So they have been pretty stiff in those years that they've been primed to win it. But at the same time, they just haven't been good enough in those years. I think the problem in those final series has been each time they lose the qualifying final, almost every time. Um, 2020, they won the qualifying final and, and no, they lost to Port Adelaide, sorry. Um, so 2019, they, they lost as well. 2013, they lost at home against Fremantle. Um, they just lose the first week and that sets you back when you've got an aging team to make them go through the gauntlet each year. It's no wonder they fall flat in the preliminary final because they've played for 26 weeks in a row. So, And it's almost along the lines of, oh, well, if we lose this week, we've got a backup. It's almost that yeah. that they're mentally, I won't say shutting off, but they've got, okay, we've got the in case of emergency break glass if we do go down with this one. Yeah, and they turn up in the semifinals and they inevitably smash who they're playing and they look awesome. And then preliminary final week comes around and they get smashed in the first quarter often. So, or just have um, a bad batch yeah. of oysters. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, and you're right, they've tried to bring the right players in. I, I still remember that last game of the season where Adelaide played Geelong and Geelong, Geelong uh, supporters and members were standing on their feet cheering for Adelaide number 32, Patrick Dangerfield. <laughs> he comes to the club. He's been immense. Okay, we need to give we need to give Hawkins a bit of a chop out. You get Jeremy Cameron down there, and we're all sitting there going, where, where, where can this club go wrong? You've got two powerhouses. You've got an absolute beast coming out of the midfield and you've got this gun, Tom Stewart, who's almost the, the anchor for a back line. You just need, just need that support. And like I said, you're, you're a victim of your own success because they've been winning so often, so much during the season. You're not going to make many changes. So these kids that are pressing, unless there is a spot that they can, they're not going to get games because you're winning. Winning teams, the worst, the worst thing you do is, is change a winning formula. Yeah, and that has cost them players in the past. And they haven't really been burned too often by a player that's left them, that's actually really hurt them and gone on to great things. But you wonder what would happen to Jordan Clark. He played week in, week out the year after his, his first season when he looked really good and he couldn't get a game again after that. And, and he sort of his form started to taper away. So um, it's been that issue, I agree, where they've got good players in and you, you look at it and you say, well, we can't rest a Mitch Duncan or a Patrick Dangerfield. We have to keep that midfield together and they end up playing 15 weeks in a row. And then they start to struggle come finals time and those younger guys haven't had a taste of it. So they need to balance that better. It's been a problem for a number of years now. Um, whether they can do that or not, we'll, we'll see whether they can bite the bullet. But the noise has been coming out that with a new sort of look coaching panel that they're going to do things a little bit differently this year. They're going to rotate players out. Um, so hopefully they can get those gains into those youngsters and, and trust them, I think, has been an issue as well. They haven't been able to trust those guys to do the same. Well, it's hard stepping into Dangerfield's shoes, but to just play a team role, they haven't really been able to earn those those choices and those chances. So hopefully the Cats can allow them to do that a little bit more. And I think some of the success you've seen with with other teams, they've also realised it's not just the coach, maybe it's the support around him. So there's been some changes at Geelong's level with the assistants and so forth. What can you give us an insight into that? And is that making a difference to the way that they're playing, just the feeling around the group? What have you heard so far about that? Now, the, the talk has been really, really positive. The, you're never going to get players saying it's it's been terrible and we're not enjoying ourselves this summer, but they have been talking up how um, enjoyable things are with a new look coaching panel. My concern about it is, is they haven't really brought in much experience into that panel. So um, the likes of sort of James Kelly, Matthew Egan's come in as a defensive coach. Um, they lost some experience in Matthew Scarlett, Corey Enright and, and Matthew Knights who have seen a lot of footy and, and coached a lot of footy over the years. They didn't really bring in a guy who has coached his own team at senior level. They didn't really bring in a guy who's been part of the coaching system for 10 years or so. Um, that's probably what they're, they're missing, I think, in this coaching panel. is a senior guy who can tap Chris Scott on the shoulder and say, hey, this isn't working, we need to try this. Because 
while they are sort of strong personalities, you wonder whether those new guys are able to stand up to him and say, we need to change things around a little bit here. Um, it, it's not working. So it'll depend how things shape out. If they win every game, then they won't have to. But they're talking about playing a little bit faster, a little bit freer out of the defence. We, we've seen they've played like they've been running through quicksand a little bit over the last couple of years at times. That'll be a thing of the past, they believe, and we'll see if that works out. And I think when you have Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron in the forward line, you'd be stupid to not get the ball in there almost as fast as you can a lot of the time. So they're really going to try and do that now that Cameron is, is fully fit uh, and get him the ball whenever they get the chance because he's a Coleman-level player playing next to a Coleman-level player. So um, that's what they've got to do. They've got to get the ball to them. Well, your first three weeks are almost going to tell you your season, aren't they? Because you've got Essendon round one, who apparently to Mick Mouldhouse, they'll be winning the flag this year. You've got the Swans round two, which many people have picked so far in, in these previews that we've done to finish top four, potentially even take the flag. And then you've got another team that's changed coaches, apparently playing more attacking football, which is going to be on the Saturday evening of the uh, April 2nd, being the Collingwood Magpies. That's a nice, easy three weeks to start the season off with. <laughs> Yeah, it's not ideal, I suppose, for, for Cats fans. I, I think you've, um, I think Brisbane comes up pretty quickly after that as well. That's a, that's a home game, but even then, um, they've had a pretty good rivalry over the last couple of years. So it's going to be an interesting sort of start for the Cats. They've had the wood over Essendon for a number of years now, as most clubs probably have. But um, you'd say they're probably two teams that are on the same almost level going into the year. Sydney also on that same level. Um, I think Collingwood, we probably mostly expect them to struggle, but you never know at the MCG against the Pies. Who knows how they'll look. Oh, they'll um, be fanging for it. And you're right, you do have Brisbane. So you could be, I reckon, Essendon's at the moment, because I'm not too sure, I'd say 50-50. Swans, because it's at their ground, I'd give them that one, yeah. yeah. Magpies, I'd get, I'd put you favourites for that from, from a, a personnel level, because once again, and then Brisbane, I'd have to put Brisbane. So you, if you were two and two after that round of games, you'd be, you'd be okay, because then you do have Hawthorne and a few others that are probably lower down the rail. So. It's not, it's not a bad start, but once again, as the season gets longer, as we start getting into June and July, it gets a little bit colder, the long sleeves start to come out, the liniment oil and DP gets to rubbed into the arms, that's when we know um, where the real Geelong is going to be. So um, in terms from your perspective, uh, you're looking at your group right now, who excites you? Who gets you, oh, I can't wait to see what they're going to deliver this year? I think it has to be out of the practice match on the weekend. Tyson Stengel has to be the one that most Cats fans are really looking forward to seeing what he can produce. I mean, it's been a roller coaster sort of time in the AFL for when he got booted out of Adelaide after some indiscretions. He didn't make it at Richmond, um, but he dominated in the sand for the last couple of seasons. Kicked four goals against Richmond on the weekend in that unofficial practice match. And Geelong's been crying out for someone in that forward 50, I think, at a, a lower level um, in terms of height-wise who can kick a bag of goals. So grind wise um, has the ability to hit the scoreboard, but he's, he's dried up a little bit over the last couple of years. Brad Close does his job. Sean Higgins doesn't kick goals anymore. Um, Luke Dalyas doesn't kick goals anymore. So they've been needing someone who can kick three goals, four goals in an afternoon and take a game from an opposition. Um, and as long as he does the pressure work back the other way, I think he'll be a really important addition um, to the forward line for Geelong. So that's definitely the one I think most Cats fans are licking their lips about and seeing what he can produce. And I think he will be a fan favourite pretty quickly down at Canadian Park. They love it whenever a guy down there three or four or five goals in the afternoon gets clapped off as he runs to the bench. Oh, shared off. Shared off. loving it, I think. Uh, Grow Myers, officially, worst kicking style in the game. <laughs> it is yeah. it is like he's playing out of a sand bunker every time he kicks the ball with that sliding <laughs> motion. It is shocking. 
Cost you, cost you a flag. He shouldn't have played on in that uh, grand final. He should have gone back and not played on. Missed or went down yeah, the other was, end. You know what I'm talking about, look. don't you? Yeah, exactly. that was. Yeah, I had the perfect view of that from the press box at the gathering. Oh, did you go to that game as well too from the press box? Yeah, I, yeah, I was up in the hub there that year um, and following them quite close. So he did kick a goal, uh, I think a quarter later, Grind that, that kept your log sort of in the hunt as Richmond was coming. But he did, the balloon, the air went out of the balloon when he missed that one, playing off and 20 oh, minutes out. Like if it nailed that, it was almost oh. game over. Yeah. Now, can I ask you, because I haven't been able to get onto anybody, and you've just mentioned, I'm actually going to put a pause on the preview. I have to ask you about Hub Life, okay? Can you just give us a synopsis what Hub Life was like? Because obviously there, there's, we just want to find out, what was, what was the feeling up there? Was it just we feel like we're locked in a, a, a five-star prison? Or <laughs> what, what was the overall, or was it just like party central, what we've heard? Or was it somewhere in the middle? Uh, well, five star prisons probably about right, particularly the first two weeks when yep. um, the whole the whole AFL crew was in the resort. Um, and I think Eddie McGuire said no one was in the pool and all that sort of stuff. Well, there were, I was sitting; my hotel room was above the pool, and it was quite busy twenty four seven. I'd say uh, it was hard to get my work done, but I'm obviously a professional. Um, there was a bar in the harbour at that stage, and it was quite popular at about five o'clock each night. Um, it only lasted until seven o'clock, so we were, we were keeping ourselves reasonably dry, but. After that, I mean, as a, as a young journo going out for the next six weeks uh, and out into the real world, I suppose, on the Gold Coast, um, spending your time with experienced journos um, after being locked in your home for a long time, my liver just didn't do a pre-season that you need when you're dealing with 40-year-old journos who have been there and done it. So it was a real eye-opener for me. I, I really needed to work my way up into form, but um, by the last couple of weeks of the hubbub, I was feeling a lot better. Did, did So two questions. Um, happy hour. Was it happy hour down there at the pool at five o'clock most nights? <laughs> I don't think it was. It, there wasn't a happy hour. It was full prices the whole time, which is disappointing for me. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was only open five to seven, the, the bar in the resort, which was so a bit of a Everybody shame. made sure that they're going to go hard. But make sure we're going to do the right thing for those two hours. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Make sure you get a couple because there was games on every night at that stage. So make sure you get a couple up your sleeve and you can watch the rest of that night's game. As long as you weren't covering it, that was a struggle for most people to run back to their hotel rooms, I think, after a couple and under their belt. And I have to – you mentioned about the other journalists. Just from a professional perspective, was there any of them that you got to spend some time with and have a chat to and just sort of learn – just learn the nuances within the role just from those elder statesmen that you probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do like in this environment where we're back in our normal towns, our homes, et cetera? Yeah, was it for someone who had spent – the last, obviously, 12 months locked in, you hadn't been seeing anybody at games or anything like that. You hadn't getting that community. It was definitely a great chance for someone like me to, to meet those guys, learn a few things from them, learn what they know and how they do things. And I had a couple of sort of late-night chats with a couple of guys, and it was, it was definitely really good to, to see how they approach things, what's drop, got drop, them to. Drop a name, drop a name, drop a name, <laughs> drop a name. I've got the dustpan right. and broom out. Drop a name. <laughs> uh, I mean, the ages Jake and I had a good chat with us one night. He really went through some of the ins and outs. And, and that sort of stuff. Uh, it was it was really good to hear his thoughts. Uh, the guy from the Australian, Courtney Walsh, was really really excellent. Yeah. Shane Hope from AAP, he does a really good job. Um, Nick Wade from the Herald Sun was covering it at that point. Those guys are, are real out and out pros. So to learn what they know over the last fifteen years is was absolutely good to get some of their insights from them. And no school's ever going to teach you that. No university yeah. is going to teach you that. Just life experience, ladies and gentlemen. And trust me, the Geelong Football Club have lots of life experience on their <laughs> list. Now, 
Um, who? So if your breakout star outside of Mr. Stengel, which caught your eye, who's your breakout? Who's the one at the end of the year that you're going to say, hey, geez, if I listen to Josh the start of the year on, on the Lay South season preview for the Cats, I, I would have known this. Who's the one that at the moment you go, ooh. He's not going to be a sexy player that's going to get 30 disposals and kick four goals a game. But uh, uh, a guy who's been a whipping boy from Geelong fans and AFL fans in general for the last five years or so, I really like the way Zach Guthrie's gone about it this this offseason. He's finally looking like he's got a a proper AFL body. He looks like he's got some really good biceps, which is a struggle for him in his early days, old Zach. But he's really going to slot in, I think, at at halfback and be an intercepting mark player. He took a number of intercept marks against Richmond in that practice match. Um, he's a good size to be that that sort of third or fourth tall that comes up and comes over the top. Um, with Jack Henry um, struggling with his fitness to start the season, he's got a foot injury and it'll be touch and go for round one. So I'd be penciling in Zach Gaffer to play the first month or so and be that intercepting defender. And and he has he has really good footy smarts. It's always been uh, a good side of his game. And I think he was just about Jolene's best player in a couple of those finals, that prelim final against Melbourne. There weren't many winners, but he was one of the few that actually stood tall. So. Um, he's, as I said, he's not going to be a player that will get 30 Brownlow votes on Brownlow night, but I think he's going to be a really important part of Geelong's side in 2022. Um, you tell you what, it's interesting you're talking about his biceps not being that big because he came out of Sunbury. And if anyone knows Sunbury, there's a, usually a lot of lifting does happen um, in that <laughs> Sunbury region. So um, maybe he was maybe he was on the good side of the tracks, if you know what I mean. Um, who is going to get the shoulder from Scotty? Who's going to be the breakdown? that unfortunately it is going to be your last season. Um, good luck for your future endeavours. Yeah, I mentioned him a little bit before. He's the oldest player on the list, Sean Higgins, and I think he hasn't really – it didn't work last year for him playing with the Cats. They, they put him into that forward role, a sort of a half-forward, a crumbing player, and he just, it just didn't work for him. He, he's a midfielder, really, and there is no room, I don't think, in the Geelong midfield. Um, he's a hard worker and he's very professional, so it's certainly not going to be his fault, but I just don't think his game – um, sort of suits being that forward player. I think this will be his last year. Um, the problem is he's playing that half-forward line. He's not a very good finisher anymore around goals. I mean, his last five years, I looked it up before, he's kicked 50 goals, 65. He kicked four goals, 12 last year. So he's not kicking goals and he's missing them. And he doesn't hit targets going inside 50. Um, I wrote last year that he was one of the third, three or four worst players hitting a target going inside 50 in the league, which you look at his game and he's a really silky player and you, you think he's, he's going to be nailing those kicks, but he just doesn't anymore. So... Um, if he's not hitting targets or kicking goals, I'm not sure he has a, pro- a role in that half-forward line. And as I said, Tyson Stengel's in the, in the team now. Um, I think Luke Dallas is another one alongside Higgins who might not get as much game time this year as he has in the past because they have guys coming in and filling those roles. Um, and while they're, they're, good, they're definitely good clubmen around the place and they've had good careers, I might be it for those two. Well, he goes 35 in a couple of days. So I, I don't think that's going to that's gonna tick. So I reckon you're right. Can I ask you also one other guy who I think has been sensational when he's since he's come across to Geelong is Zach Tui. Like, if there's anybody who's just going to bleed for you every single week, it's this guy. How much longer do you reckon he's got? Yeah, I think it's two more years probably in Zach. Last yep. year was one of his better ones. Um, he, he's had an excellent career, hasn't he? He's the exact kind of player that Carlton's been crying out for for 15 years, isn't he? He plays with passion. He has skill. He's hard at the footy. He does pretty much everything right. He's adaptable. I think part of the things that haven't been working for him in the last two or three years when they haven't is because Geelong hasn't played him off halfback as much as they probably could. He played a little bit forward, a little bit on the wing. Um, but, yeah, I think he's got maybe two years, possibly three if he has a couple of good years. He's another one who's really professional. He had some knee problems um, last year and the year before, but that seemed to clear up um, recently. So I think he'll be around for another couple of years. And, He's certainly a guy you love to watch play because he does it the right way and he has one of the, the best kicks we've ever seen, which is 
Um, a bit unusual, I suppose, for an Irishman, but he's just looked like he's been kicking the footy his whole life. Oh, I just love the way he carries himself. I just, uh, you know, his, his tats are another story. But I tell you best what, facial hair in the league that, too as well. You look at that beard, best facial hair in the league. Oh, he's he just, had a great just, beard. He had a great mustache. He really has it all. You just, you'd love to have him at your club. It's as, it's as simple as that. Uh, okay, so um, Mr. Higgins is going to be your breakdown. Alrighty, headline. Get to the end of the season. 2022 is over. We turn the back of the Geelong advertiser. Just Barnes has written up his com- column for as chief football writer. What is the headline for the Geelong Cats? How to summarise their 2022 season? Um, unfortunately, it'll be something along the lines of here we go again, I think. It'll be one of those years where the Cats at times look like they're a premiership threat and then it doesn't really work out for them. I, I can't see them really breaking past those teams in the top four, but I also think they will probably finish around that top four mark. They, they probably will get a home sort of home final, maybe play a qualifying final. They, they seem to win all the games down in Geelong and they've got nine of them coming this year. Um, so you're banking seven or eight wins there and they only have, have to find another five or six and they're on the edge of the top four. So I think they'll be there and I think they'll be just quite not good enough again. Despite, say, around round 18 or 19, they might move to the top of the betting charts and we'll think they're a chance. But um, I wouldn't be banking on it if I was a Cats fan. What's um, GMHBA Alphabet Stadium going to be down to capacity-wise because of the redevelopment going on? Um, I think it's around 20. Um, I think it's about a third loss, and it'll be all at one end as well. So I, I haven't been able to ascertain how that'll affect the wind. When they knocked down the opposite end, uh, the river end, it, it did sort of swirl around in that pocket and make it really hard to kick goals down that end. Yep. Um, it's the northern end this year, so I'm not sure how the wind will come through. It might be a really different prospect for opposition teams because obviously the Cats train there every day. They're not training there this week because Foo Fighters are setting up their stadium, but apart from that, they, they train there every day. So they'll know yeah, their conditions. And it is a different dimension down there, as we all know. So I think they'll still be pretty hard to beat at home. Yeah, I don't think Gorney will have much too many issues down there again. <laughs> all right, let's put the agates on the chopping board, Joshy. Let's have a look at um, the over the course of the entire league. So who's your premier outside of the Cats? You can even pick your Cats if you like. But who's your premier? Who's your pick premier premiers uh, for 2022? Who do you like? Uh, it's hard to go past your mob. I can't see sort of anyone at this stage being deserving premiership tag, favourite tag more than Melbourne. Um, nothing's gone wrong for them. They haven't really lost anyone. Um, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't enter the season as premiership favourites. Um, I'm going to put as many jinxes on them as I can. I think the, the side that might challenge them and make the grand final and play against them is, is Brisbane. I think they've been right on the edge for three or so years now. They've tasted that September defeat and, and what it feels like to lose for, for a number of years now. I think they're sort of prime to break in and be that top two sider and play in the grand final. But uh, it's just hard to look at that Melbourne team and wonder um, who could beat them really at their best. I think as much as you won't like it, mate, I think they're unstoppable this year. I I appreciate it. uh, For the people who haven't probably picked up by now, yes, I am a Melbourne uh, Melbourne (laughs) member. Uh, Very passionate, 46 years of dealing with a lot of pain. And yesterday, last year, got rid of a lot of it. But look, that's been a common thread. The Ds have come up quite a fair bit, listeners. Brisbane's come up quite a fair bit as well too. So it seems to be the same teams keep popping up. And look, outside of injury, they could have made it last year as well too. So it's just if you get both fit teams on the park, that's the type of grand final you'd love to see too. You know, McCluggage up against Langdon, uh, Neil versus Petrarca, um, Danaher versus May, Lee versus uh, Lever versus Hipwood. Um, Go down the other end, Andrews versus Ben Brown. There's just matchups everywhere. 
Charlie Cameron versus Pickett, just bolting to oh. <laughs> Champagne showers everywhere. Brownlow medalist, who is at the moment, um, which is a bit, it's a bit of an elusive one because the Brownlow medalist is, is a midfielder's uh, medal. And a few people have actually gone, you know what, I don't really worry about the Brownlow. I'd love to see the MVP go to this person. From your perspective. Do you, Brownlow, do you think the Brownlow has lost its luster a little bit in the last sort of five, six years? It feels to me that it is just everybody racks up 30 votes and it almost means nothing to get 30 votes these days. It, it just seems to be so focused on only midfielders and, and only 10 players seem to get all the votes. Uh, I'd, yeah, I'd agree. I would agree. The last person outside of a midfielder to win it, because I couldn't even, I couldn't even <laughs> put yourself figure it out. I guess Plugger won it in the 80s, but... Um, Plugger 80s, Scotty Wind won it in 95. Yeah. Like, do we go that far back? Yeah, I, I it's, can't it's think not, of it's, it's, not, it's not right. It should be... It, it, yeah, it's... One of the things I've always said is that they always get the stats. They shouldn't look at the stats. You should just see who's the best player on the park because there's been players that have dominated games and haven't touched the, touched the ball at all. Oh. Um, yeah. So, right, who, yeah, I think it's lost a bit of its luster. So who, who do you think you'd be looking at? Um, I think Brownlow-wise, uh, he's, he's fallen down the charts a little bit, but with um, Sam Walsh going to be missing the first month or two, I think Patrick Cripps is right in the frame. He looks really good at the moment. Oh, he's, he's, he's certainly looking strong. Um, there's going to have to be someone to cut and get votes. The pressure will be taken off him a little bit with a little bit more help with, with Chera and George Hewitt in that midfield. And he's a proven polar. He got 20 votes, I think, in 2018 and 26 in 2019. So... The umpires know him. He's been able to poll in the past. I think he'll be really up there as a guy who um, you might not expect given his last couple of years, but I think he's, he's probably my Brownlow favourite. He's about 196 centimetres tall. You can't exactly miss a power <laughs> pole running through the midfield. He's, he's a massive – but that's a ripper because I think last few years he has been the battering ram and now having Walsh in there and Chera is just going to take a little bit of that pressure off. Unfortunately, Walsh isn't going to be there for the first few. Yeah. So – he might be able to pinch a few there. But once again, if that midfield gets rolling, then it's going to be Walsh pinching them off, Chera pinching them off. It's going to be tough. But it's going to be interesting from a Carlton perspective, you know, sidebar, what's going to happen with them this year? You know, they're pretty buoyant, yeah. um, but it could either go the right way or it could go the other way. You can't say they're not trying. They're all uh, buoyant Carlton fans, aren't they? Um, but I think their bottom five or six players still, you, you sort of, who's that? So until you build up that, that's probably where they're missing finals and they have been for the last 20 years. There are a few anonymous anonymouses running down in that in that bottom half of their of their twenty three. Coleman medalists. Well, oh, you could just pick anyone, any of your two. <laughs> this has been a bit of a, a random award in the last sort of four or five years, hasn't it? There hasn't been a real guy that's been dominating year in year out. I, I've picked another sort of random guy. Um, his brother's not going to win it, but I think Max King King from St Kilda is going to be a real chance. Um, he's kicked. I had a look at his numbers before, um, and he's kicked fifty goals in thirty eight games heading into his third season. Buddy Franklin had kicked thirty fifty two in thirty four games. And I think they're pretty similar, the amount of shots they've had at goal over that time period. So um, Buddy Franklin kicked 73 in his third season. I think King is primed to do pretty similar. Oh, we, saw, we saw a number of games last year. He took five or six huge grabs at a, at a full forward. And you thought, geez, no one can stop this guy. I mean, playing against Geelong, I think, in the middle of the year, he was unstoppable and just kicked one goal seven or something. So he's going to have days like that this year. It's going to be really hard to stop him. And I think St Kilda are going to play through and, and win a few games this year. So... He's my picture to shoot up the leaderboard and take it They're out. They're another interesting mob, aren't they, St Kilda? Stay tuned for whatever's going to happen with yeah. that because they're, 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 they're almost the, the second generation of the Cats. And what I say is they're just, they've been bringing in so many players, they're starting to tick on injury. Is it, is it going to hold up or is it 
I think they've got a few, probably a couple underneath that we've been able to see. Jack Steele uh, is the one that's stood out immensely. But you're right, Max King, remember he had those yips with his kicking style for a bit early on. It looks like he's got that ironed out. And if he has, um, you can't stop a bloke that tall too much yeah. in the air. If he gets enough delivery, quality delivery, um, anything can happen there. Listeners, I don't know about you, but seriously, forget about AFL 360. Forget about um, listening to SEN or any of those other hoity-toity. This is where the real Geelong season preview is. Josh Barnes, you are an absolute gun. What is um, what's the header? What's the out- oh, sorry the outlook for the um, the advertiser Geelong advertiser? What do you got planned for the readers in the region this year? Is there anything that you can sort of let us know about or? Yeah, well, we're working through our plans at the moment. It's my first season in, in the chair as the chief footy writer, so I'll be down there every single day knocking on the door at KP trying to get anything out of them. Um, hopefully for the readers, we should be able to see a feature coming up or I should be sitting down with Chris Scott before the season. Um, we're working on a time for that, but I'll have a sit down with him and work our way through exactly what's going to happen this year and what's going to happen in the next four or five years. So hopefully we can get some kind of ideas about the way Geelong will play and what he'll be doing in, say, 2024. Because um, that's the biggest question probably down Geelong way is what happens with the coach. He's, he's the man that everyone's been looking at for a number of years now. So hopefully we can hear it from his horses now. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. There's your season 2022 preview. I think the Cats, maybe not top four, they will play finals. Um, I would actually prefer them not to make top four because then the, they're going to have to play good football every week to survive and not have this luxury of having the uh, the first or the qualifying final off. So this is going to be an interesting year. Many, many clubs are going through interesting times this year, but yours is probably one that everybody's going to be looking out for. But before we finish up, Josh Barnes from the Geelong Advertiser, the chief football writer, I have one question and one question only, and this is it. Sir, how do you want your footy? Uh, how, how do I want my footy? Yeah. Uh, delivered, absolutely laced out in front of my eyes every time. Oh, you're a star. You almost had me, Peps. You had me on the edge. I had you, I had you at hello. <laughs> Don't you start. There you go, listeners. Have a great evening. Stay tuned for more season previews. But the cats, hmm, going to be very tasty to watch during Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Place Out. Head over to iTunes and Spotify to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. And remember, join us every single Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, on our Facebook page with yours truly, Christopher Pepper, and the co-host with the most, Jamie Wallace, giving you your footy how you want it. Place Out.